You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. And we're going to talk about stress. Uh, my, my wife bought me a, a fitness tracker a couple years ago, and it didn't work quite right. There was a, the GPS wasn't right, so they sent me a new one, but a, they don't make that one, so they sent me a different one. Well, I was in the middle of a stressful situation texting on my phone, trying to get my kid to sleep, and all of a sudden my phone, my watch starts yelling at me, says, hey, dude, you need to chill out, calm down, take a breath, um, and actually, uh, Jeremiah, you want to put that first picture up? So this is what I see when I open up my phone, and this one is a, this one's a good one, this is a good day, this was December 29th, so on the bottom, you can look at the hours, I had eight, and, eight hour, almost eight, a little over eight and a half hours of rest, which if you see the time, I was actually sleeping. And you think that's, well, of course, you get good rest. But you'll see in the next picture, it's not always the same. Then I had five hours where I had low stress, two hours of medium stress, and only 14 minutes of high stress. That was a great day. Go to the next picture, bud. Yeah, read that. You had almost no restful moments on the day. Stress consumes your body's resources. It is, uh, if you are stressed for long periods of time, you may become exhausted. Weird. So let me just say I've been exhausted because most of my days are like this. And if you look, look at the very beginning from 12 a.m., my alarm goes off at 4.30, but look at that. My sleep is not restful. I'm stressed when I'm sleeping, or supposed to be sleeping. Now, of course, I have a set, I have an almost eight-month-old. It'll be eight, eight months old tomorrow, and then a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. So, of course, obviously, sleep isn't always going to be the best, but it shouldn't look like that. And then throughout the day, it got significantly worse. And near the end, there was some, you know, I had some issues with, on the military side, that, uh, yeah, caused some stress. Because when you're, I'm in charge of 83 soldiers, and then responsible for them, and then I have to answer to my hires for the actions that they take. So needless to say, sometimes it's stressful. So I'm just going to read some of the effects that it can have on your body. Headaches, muscle tension and pain fatigue, upset stomach, and reduced organ function. It can affect your mood with anxiety, restlessness, lack of motivation, feeling overwhelmed, irritability, anger, sadness, and depression. And then your behavior, over or under eating, over. Angry outbursts, drug and alcohol misuse, social withdrawal. So for me, the effects of stress on my body, we, we saw what happens there. Well, you can see what happens with my heart rate anyway. So for the last probably year, I've really just been angry, like angry, angry, all the time, don't know why. And so um, my wife, who's awesome, told me that I need to take a break from something. Um, so last year I decided, while we were in the middle of this pandemic, I was full-time first, uh, full-time first sergeant, I was taking an army school for six straight weeks, and I had a bunch of stuff going on, so I thought it'd be a good idea to go back to school and finish my bachelor's. Great idea. So I pulled off. I'm pretty proud of myself. I ended up with a 4.0. I did good. I graduated. I graduated in November, and then here we are coming into December, and my wife's like, you need to take a break. And so for me, like you'll notice today, I'm not on the drums, and Josh, pray for Josh to get quick recovery. He had uh, his appendix burst, so... Let's pray for him to get fixed or to recover well. But I haven't played in a little while because I need to take a break. 
And luckily for me, my wife, it's like, hey, you really need to take a break. Not just for home. So I was a stu- the, uh, the union student at work, so I gave that up. I thought that'd be enough. It wasn't enough. So now I'm trying to not be the first sergeant, but it's not quite an easy process to find somebody that wants to put an extra t- bunch of time in that you don't get paid for. Weird. People don't want to do that. So I'm having a hard time finding a replacement, but in the next few weeks, I'll be moving on from that, less stress. But also even just the stress of, of, of being on the worship team. And that sounds weird, but it's not so much just this. It's because there's so much going on, and when it comes time for me to practice, the first thing I would be like, oh, man, seriously? I got so much other stuff to do. I really don't want to do this. But they come Sunday morning, I love playing and I love worship. But what I love about this church, and especially our pastors, is that they let, you know, it's a terrible time for me to take a break, coming up to Christmas season, even before Josh gets sick. And you know what? To them and to this church, which is what I love, I am more important than this stage, than what comes off this stage. And that, that's important because, because for, for me, of course, I mean, you know, I, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I can't leave them shorthanded. I mean, this... God can do amazing things without a drummer. God can do amazing things without even worship. But luckily for us, we have worship because I think it's amazing. Um, but for me, I needed to take a break. Um, and we're going to go into a story about, so Greg talked about Elisha, right? Yeah. Anyways, Eli, uh, Elisha and Elijah are pretty, they're hard to, so anyways, it's pretty close. So but he talked about Elisha and all this great stuff he did. Well, we're going to talk about Elijah, his 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 master, the guy who taught him, his pro, you know, taught Elisha, was Elijah's protege. And we're going to talk about what he walked through and how he, these great things he did, and then when something bad happened, what happened there. So we're going to kind of go through that story. Um, so instead of reading, there's three chapters in First uh, Kings, about 17, 18, 19, that go over this whole story. So I'm going to give a synopsis. It starts off with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Well, King Ahab marries uh, a non-Israelite, Queen Jezebel. And they, they serve uh, the god Baal. They don't serve the god of Israel. And actually, it talks about, uh, there's a verse that says that Ahab did more to provoke the god of Israel than all the kings before him. So needless to say, he was not the best king that Israel ever had. So anyways, they, they serve Baal and uh, because of this, Elijah goes to King Ahab and says, listen, now Elijah is a little bit of a, he's a little full of himself. He comes to King Ahab and he says, hey, there's not, I'm going to pray and it will not rain until I say it's going to rain again. That's what he tells King Ahab because of, because of their worship, worshiping Baal. So he does, you know, that takes some guts. He walks up to King Ahab and says, you know what? God's going to stop the rain. I'm going to pray. God's going to stop the rain. It's not going to rain again until I say it. Wow. And the rain stops. So then God tells him, you need to go down to this brook, and this is where you're going to go hide. You're going to stay there, and I'm going to have the the ravens, the crows, are going to bring you meat and bread every morning and every night, and you get to drink out of this brook. So he goes, and while he's there, Jezebel, it doesn't say King Ahab. It says Queen Jezebel Start slaughtering all the other prophets, all of them, Kill, uh, killing everyone that she can find. So there's this guy, Obadiah, who is like the, he's the, in charge of King Ahab's whole house. He, he believes in God. 
So what he does is he takes 50 of, 50 of these prophets and goes and hide them in one cave and give, brings them food and water every day. And then he takes 50 more and puts them in a different cave and hides them. And then, you know, keeps them safe and every, all the other uh, prophets are being slaughtered. So eventually the crick that, the, the, the crick that uh, um, Elijah's at dries up. So... But, you know, he believes in God, and God comes back. He's been trusting in God. He's been there for, it doesn't say how long, but it's been a while that he's been staying there. So then he gets, gets word from God to say, hey, I need you to go to this city, and as you walk in there, there's a widow who's going to take care of you. Okay, God. So he gets up, and he goes, he goes to the city. He gets to the city, and he sits down at the gate, and there's a woman there, and he says, hey, bring me some water. So she's like, okay. Then as she's going to leave, he goes, well, as you go, go make me some bread and bring it back to me. Bring me something to eat. And she's like, well, I don't have anything. You know, I literally, I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to bake it. I'm coming to get sticks. I'm going put, to put the stuff together. I'm going to bake bread so my son and I can eat it, and then we're going to die. This is all we have left because there's a famine. And uh, so he says, you know, he goes, go do as I ask. He goes, and you will not you do not run out. So then, it, that's what happens. Until the rain comes, her bin, the flour doesn't ever dry up, and her oil doesn't dry up. She has as much as she can make. She just keeps making all this stuff. And so she take, brings in, uh, a, wow, Elijah moves in, stay, stays there. So then, sometime later, her son gets sick. And so then, she, of course, she forgets that God has been taking care of her with all this oil and, and flour, or the flour and, and the oil. And she forgets all about that and says, hey, why, you know, have you done this? To, have you come here just to, to kill my son? And so he goes, and he lays on top of the sun, prays three times. The sun comes back to life, brings the sun down. Listen, you know, your son's alive. Awesome. Well, then God gives word to him that, hey, I need you. So, I mean, this is pretty amazing. He brings, so he he tells the rain to stop, the rain stops, and then he listens to God, and God feeds him for however long by a bunch of birds bringing him food. And then he comes, and he finds that he listens to God, and the woman that God told me he was going to meet, he meets, and then he they brings her daughter, or her son, back to life. That's pretty, you know, he's doing pretty good. So then God tells him to go meet Ahab, <clears throat> and on the way, he goes to meet Ahab, and uh, he finally gets him, and he he says, listen, get all your prophets, all the prophets of Baal, there's 900 of them, you get them together, we're going to go up to Mount Carmel, we're going to, have a, we're going to have an altar, and let them pray that God brings down fire, and then I'm going to have an altar, and we're going to pray, and whoever, whichever God sends down fire, that's the God, that's the true God. Sounds great. So then, I don't know if you know the story, then he's kind of a, again, he's kind of full of himself. They, the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves and crying out, and you know, and he's like, "Well, maybe they can't hear. Maybe he can't hear you. And then maybe he's, you know, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you know he can't get you because he's taking care of business." Or, and then finally, you know, he's like, "All right, well, I'm going to pray." And he's not just going to pray. He's like, "All right, how about you get some water, and we're going to we're going to cover the the altar in water. Let's do it again, one more time." So they cover this water with three with with three. Three times they cover it with so much water that fills up the trench around it. He calls for fire. Fire comes down, consumes both altars, and kills a bunch of people, you know, the, the prophets of Baal. And then they, they get slaughtered. That's amazing. And then he goes up the mountain, and he goes to pray for rain because that's what 
you know, that's what God told him to do. So he prays for rain, and he has a servant go, look, it doesn't see any rain. So this, on the seventh time, though, he finally says, all right, go out there. And the, the, his servant says, yes, I see a cloud the size of a man hand. So it's like twice the size of my hand. I got little baby hands. But <clears throat> So he tells him, go tell King Ahab to hurry and get back to Jezreel because there's going to be so much rain he's not going to be able to get through. Pretty amazing. And then all these storm clouds start coming. And then one of the coolest things, I think, so he turned, he's the first uh, um, uh, Flash Gordon. <laughs> Elijah picks up his, picks up his, 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 uh, his garment, his robe, and he outruns Ahab's chariot back to the city. That's pretty amazing. So, I mean, if it were me, if I did all that over the last three and a half years of God continually providing, continually coming through, continually doing amazing breakthroughs and miracles, you'd think you'd be all right, right? You'd think you'd be, man, this is awesome. I can, I can conquer anything. So then... Uh, um, go ahead and bring up that first verse, Bob. So he goes and uh, Ahab tells Jezebel. So then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, may it be ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those. So she threatens his life. Now you'd think that he'd be like, Well, you see what I just did in the last three and a half years? You think I'm really scared of you? What's he do? He runs and hides. So, you can go to the next verse, actually. Yeah, so he's, he was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. We're going to continue on that. So I'm going to break for a second, and just, um, just because you're successful in business or in ministry or whatever, that does not... That does not exempt you from, from feeling failure or from having depression or having mental health issues or struggling, period. It doesn't matter what you do, no matter what it looks like. That's why like, people look at actors. You know, these, how, how could this person kill themselves when they have so much money and so much fame? Well, yeah, because it looks great on the outside, but inside, they're not Okay. And so success doesn't, it's not going to exempt you from, from these struggles. Because these are struggles that everyone has at some level. Just more, some are more than others. And some are better at hiding it than others. Um, and if you don't listen to, if you're a parent and you don't listen to full spectrum, I'm going to do a little plug here, full spectrum parenting, you really should. It's not just for, it's, it's for, uh, you know, special needs, but it, it's so good, like, Above and beyond that, I mean, I think any, everybody should listen to it, but especially parents. You know, it's just great to listen to <clears throat> just the wisdom that these guys have. That Greg and Je it's Greg and Jessica. I don't know if, if you're aware, but they they have a, a podcast called Full Full, Pe Full Spectrum Parenting, and it's awesome. And actually, Greg spoke. Yes, <clears throat> Greg spoke on mental health a couple weeks ago. Um, was it two weeks ago? You did mental. And uh, he brought up the verse, I don't know if you got it, but Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, your yoke upon, take, your yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Jesus wants us to have peace. Jesus wants us to be whole, 
physically, mentally, emotionally. That's what God wants. He wants us to be complete and whole. And <clears throat> I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later, but like there's, so just like the military has this stigma and they're slowly losing it, that it's not okay to ask for help. We kind of feel like it, a lot of times it's the same way here in church. You know, that, hey, if you're struggling, it's just because you don't have enough faith. If you're struggling, it's because you just don't believe enough. It's struggling enough because you don't read your Bible enough. Or, you know, something along those lines. And that's not the case. The case is that we all have struggles and we need to come together and help each other out. So, and if you don't, because of that, I know so like for me in the military, there's people that intentionally will not go get help because they don't want to hurt their careers. Some people can make it through it, and others can't. That's why there's 22, military, military, 22 people in the military kill themselves every day, veterans or, or current service members, because they're, not, they're too afraid, too ashamed to go get help. And if you learn, if, if nothing else today, there, there is no guilt and there's no shame in asking for help. There's no guilt and no shame. That's not the burden that Jesus wants to take off of us and give to him is that. That's not, that's not our burden to carry. It's not our responsibility to carry guilt and shame for not being okay. So that's why we're going to take that off. We're going to give Jesus that burden, and he's going to give us his burden, which is light. And we're still going to work together with him. That's why it's called the yoke, because we're going to work together. And it's not, life's not going to be easy, but we're going to, with Jesus working together and each other, we can get through it. So if nothing else, get rid of guilt and shame. You're, it's okay to not be okay. <clears throat> um, let's go to, uh, yeah, three and four. And then, so now he's, he's running away because he's scared to death. It says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness... He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed, let me die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So there's a couple things here. Number one, he left his servant and went off by himself. And we're going to hear later that he talks, when Jesus asks him, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm all alone. Well, you're right. You're all alone because you left people. So if you, I don't know if you remember. So when I talked about Obadiah, Obadiah met with, with Elijah and told him about the hundred other prophets that he had hidden and was feeding. And so somehow, I mean, for me, if, if I was really scared to death of, of, of Jezebel, I would have gone to Obadiah and be like, hey, man, where are those other hundred guys? Can I go stay in the cave with them, you know? Make sure I got food and water and that you're going to protect me and be with other prophets, you know? But he didn't. His first thought is we're going to run away. And then after he runs away, he's like, I'm going to leave you here. I got to go by myself. Because withdrawal, remember we were talking about withdrawal before? A lot of people, that's one of the signs, like even when we do suicide training for the military, like that's one of the things. If somebody's drawn away by themselves a lot and kind of, you know, not acting like themselves and total, getting rid of all their possessions or just getting alone, that's a big sign. You need to make sure they're okay. So he goes by himself. Yes, you're right. You're by yourself because you left. And he sits down under the tree and he says, he prays that he would die. He doesn't pray that God would send down the same fire that, that took out the altars to take out Jezebel. He doesn't pray that, you know, that the, that the whatever, you know, some crazy, like, that God would raise up an army against them. Or to pray that, you know, 
hey, maybe that they would have a change of heart. You know, because we're, we're supposed to pray for our enemies, right? And I know that I don't do it enough, but a lot of times we need to pray for our enemies. And not just half-heartedly, but, you know, God, let them have a change of heart. Not just so it keeps me alive, but because it's what's best for them. But a lot of times we don't do that. So, no, he just says, I just want to die. But he said he wanted to die, but if he just stayed put, Jezebel was going to kill him anyway, so why did he run away? Because I don't think he really wanted to die. He asked God that he, to, to kill him, but I don't, I don't really think that's what he wanted to do. And this is a, just a side note. When someone kills himself, they usually, that's not really what they want to do. What they want to do is not feel the pain and the hurt and the anguish anymore. And they can't, like Greg talked about, hope. They have no hope. They can't see a hope for a better day. They can't see past whatever that issue is. So whatever we can do to make sure they don't get to that point, let's do it. Whatever it, whatever it takes. Because really, they don't want to die. Just like he doesn't really want to die. If he wanted to die, he would just stay there and let Jezebel kill him. And then he goes, I've had enough, Lord. Yeah, you're right, dude. You've had enough. Yeah, God provided for you when everybody else has got a famine and has nothing. God's bringing you food and meat and water. And, and then you leave the creek because it dries up and everybody else still doesn't have food and water. But then you go to somewhere and this lady takes care of you and you, you know, keeps feeding you this great bread, which my wife, I got her a Dutch oven for Christmas and she just made her first uh, roll of bread in it yesterday or loaf of breath. Oh my goodness. Good stuff. Yeah, it really was. She said she wanted it, but I really bought it because she's going to feed me. So. <laughs> so he's saying he's had enough, but he's had a great life compared. And that's, that's one thing like we do a lot. We, we compare ourselves to other people. You know, like, oh, yeah, you've had a bad, but nothing's as bad as me. You know, my life's terrible. You know, you got a great job. And sometimes we do do that. We complain about the job we have when there's people out there that would kill to have our job. As bad as it is, as much as we don't like it, there's people out there that would kill to have the job that you have. Or kill to be in a relationship, you know, when you're complaining about, you know, my wife making too much bread or whatever. <laughs> so don't compare yourselves, number one. And, and be, you know, and don't, don't compare yourselves to other people because you don't even know, like I said before, you don't, it just looks like everything's okay, but sometimes people are just really good at putting on a show. Yes, he's the most proud, yeah, the more, most powerful prophet in history. And you'll hear later, you know, that he prays, you know, I mean, he prayed for rain to stop for three and a half years, and it does. And yeah, I'm, I'm no good, God. And I already talked about how success it doesn't make us, it doesn't, it doesn't make us immune to feeling failure. So then, what does he do? Next verse, he he lay he lay down on the broom bush and he fell asleep. Sleep is important. Greg actually talked about that. Last week? In full spectrum uh, parenting. It really is. It, I mean, there's, I don't get, I don't sleep a whole lot. I never really have. I have, you know, maybe six hours of sleep a night, which I'm trying to get better at because this past year has been really bad for me physically. So between being in school and sitting in an office taking classes all I didn't get enough sunlight. And so I had a massive, I went to my doctor appointment, my normal yearly checkup, had a massive uh, vitamin D deficiency. My doctor asked me, he's like, how on earth do you function? I'm like, well, I don't know, I get up in the morning, I do what I got to do. 
I didn't really think it was an option, you know. <laughs> but he said, my vitamin D levels were so low. He goes, do you, do you hurt when you get up in the morning? Yes. Are you in pain all day long? Yep. Are you tired a lot? Yep. He's like, take some vitamin D. A lot. <clears throat> and then also, because of, well, he's pretty sure, because of that and my stress, that actually my thyroid decided it didn't want to work anymore. So <clears throat> not only was I, you know, tired all the time and in pain, so I didn't want to work out. Well, now the little bit of working out I was doing before wasn't, wasn't enough to keep me losing weight or staying the weight. So I put on a bunch of weight last year. And it's because of my stress level. I wasn't taking care of me. And then, so my body let me know, but of course I just assumed it was, you know, whatever, I'm getting older, that's just what happens. But because I wasn't taking care of, I wasn't taking care of myself, my body kind of was trying to let me know, hey, dum-dum, let's do something here. So Elijah goes to sleep. He gets sleep because sleep's important. We need to rest. And not only do we need to rest, but we need to like recuperate our body. So then he goes on to say, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there, looked around his head, and there was some uh, baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. Like I said, nice bread. Mm. And he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Because this is a process. It's not a, I mean, don't get me wrong, God can do anything. You know, he is a God of suddenlies. But sometimes there's a process that we have to go through. And so don't be, don't be upset when things don't happen where I'm going to go talk to God and I'm going to get better and tomorrow everything's going to be hunky-dory and we're going to be great. It might take some time. It might, you might have to rest, eat, and fall back asleep again. So then it goes on to say that um, the angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. And strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So in that, there's something pretty, pretty amazing. So when he decided he was going to run away from God and go by himself, he made it one day. That's as far as he could go. And then he had to sit on the tree and said, God, kill me. I want to go. So then God nourishes him, gives him food and water, lets him sleep. Wakes him up and says, this, the journey is too much for you. You need more. I need you to take, take a little bit longer break, get some more nourishment, get some more sleep. So he does that, and then he's able to go 40 days and 40 nights. So when we try to do it on our own, we can make it a little while, a little while. But if we partner with God, and a lot of times his people, us, we can go an awful lot further. 40 days and 40 nights off, off of that, that meal. He got up and he was able to travel. So that alone is a pretty, to me, is pretty significant, you know? So what does he do when he gets to the mountain? There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. There's his self-fulfilling prophecy, right? He's the only one because he was all by himself. But he forgot about the other hundred that are somewhere in a cave.
he keeps telling himself this, you know, that's, that's the, in his head, that's what it is. I'm alone. I'm alone. And so a lot of times, that's what we do to us. We give ourselves a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're going to say we're all alone because we're alone. Or, you know, we're going to make, we're, we're our, our situation is hopeless because we, we give up hope. Or we make it that way. Or we try to bring more people in that are in despair to try to make it, you know. It doesn't help us when somebody comes in and just, you know, when it says miseryless company. A lot of times it's, that's true, but it's not good for us. <laughs> because it just makes misery worse. <clears throat> so then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great, well, we stop there for a minute. God's not going to wait and stay with us. He, he won't wait for us. He's not, let me word this properly. He's not going to stay in our misery with us. I mean, he's going to hold us, but he's not, going to, he's not the one who's going to come in and say, like, you know what, this is awful. You're right. It's okay. He's going to call us out of that into something better. He's going to nourish us. He's going to, that's why he brings us bread and water. He's going, to, he's going to take care of us, but he's also going to call us out into something different. And so he steps out in the mountain, and, steps out in the mountain, <clears throat> and it says, that a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice <clears throat> said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So before he answers, he, you know, he's ready to go out because God tells him to stand outside the cave. So there's this powerful wind. And, of course, you know, we think it's going to be this miraculous, awesome thing. But God wasn't in the wind. And then the earthquake. Well, that's got to be God, right? Something is happening again, but it wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire, you know, the fire that he called down from before is out there. That wasn't the same fire. But he hears God's voice. So in all that time... That he was by him when he was with God at the you know before all this happened, and then while he was at the at the brook waiting, he learned God's voice, just like so many of us. Some people don't know God's voice, and you know that's okay. You can learn it. But so many of us, so many of us do know God's voice, but we forget what we're listening for. We're looking for the wind and the earthquake, and the fire, and we're not waiting for that still, quiet voice to tell us, to talk to us, you know? And so, so Elijah, because he knew, he didn't put his cloak over his head before he heard the voice, but when he heard the whisper, that's when he put it over his, voice, his head. And then when God asked him, what are you doing here again? It's cut and, and paste from before. He says the exact words, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The same exact words. How many times have we told ourselves the same lie over and over and over and over again till we started to believe it? Till that started to be the monologue that was running in our brain nonstop. We're not alone. You're not alone. And if you feel you're alone, find people to, carry, to go with you. 
Because so many times we listen to the lies so much that we start to believe it. And that's, that's exactly what Elijah did here. I mean, again, there's a hundred other prophets that he knows are hidden somewhere and being taken care of. But he tells God, no, I'm the only one. And if you read through it, it's, it's all this I, I. You know, I'm the only one left. I've been very zealous. He's, so he's, he's just looking. He's looking here. This is, he's right here. This is it. He's not looking at the, the big picture. He's not looking at, what, at the plan God has for him. He's just looking at his current situation, and that's it. So what does God do? God tells him to do something. God calls him again, calls him out. He says, go back to the way you came, back towards Jezebel, and go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hezreel king, uh, king over Aram, and anoint Jehu, the son of Nish, Nishmi, Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elijah, which Greg talked about, son of Shaphat, from Abel, I can't even say his, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So, God calls him to do something. Just like God is calling us to do something. You know, and, and I mean, before, he was scared to death to go anywhere near Jezebel. But now God's calling him to go do it. And then we read on further that he goes and he, he does this, and then he, he anoints um, Elisha to take over his mantle. I mean, he does some pretty cool things, too, after the fact. He takes his robe and he touches the water and it opens up so they can walk across on dry land. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> but... God calls him to do something, not to stay where he is. Not so he gets healed, but he gets healed to move forward. And again, asking for help is not a sign of weakness at all. It's a sign of strength. I have a buddy of mine that I work with that, uh, um, you know, 20-something years old, making great money, you know, good-looking kid, you know, on the outside, you think everything was great. We had an addiction problem that he didn't want anybody to know about. And he was so ashamed of it that one day he decided that was it. Luckily, he talked to, he talked to somebody because I, he really didn't want to end it. He did, but he didn't. And they were able to get to him and get him some help. And now he's doing okay. But, but again, if he, hadn't, if he had just asked for help before then, you know, he wouldn't have had to get to that point where he was hopeless. Hopelessness, like Greg said, is because, usually because we're alone. Don't try to do this alone. So if you don't struggle with mental illness or uh, anxiety or depression or or you deal great with stress, that's awesome. But you know what your job is? Your job is to get along somebody who doesn't. Your job is to find the person that needs help. And so, too often in Christianity, we like to walk around with, you know, our Bibles and thump people over the head and tell them, hey, this is what you need to do. We need, that's not what we need to do. We need to walk with people. So, never go to someone out of judgment, only out of love. If they know you love them, they'll listen to you. There's a, there's a 
I don't know how long, how old this phrase is, but people are only going to care, don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's so true in Christianity. I mean, it's true in any relationship and in life, but for us, I mean, people don't really, they don't care what we know. I mean, they do, but they, you know what? You know what they're looking at? They're looking at to see if we actually care about them. So like God, in this story, he cared about Elijah. He didn't just, you know, say, hey, hey, look at all the stuff I've done for you. I can't believe you get up, you lazy bum. Get yourself fixed. Let's go. He cares for him. All that time, does he want, does he say anything negative? No. He says, let's go. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to have some tough love sometimes, but it's tough love. We have to love people where they're at and come alongside them to help them. If you're just going at somebody trying to say, hey, you know, this is what you need to do, get yourself better, you know, I mean, they could go buy a self-help book for that. What they need is you and me and us to walk beside them. 2022 is going to be a great year. And for me, taking a break from the worship team and getting, you know, taking a break from being a first sergeant and all these stuff, even just the past the past couple weeks really. Like I can tell I'm better. And I also didn't just sit back. You know, I was proactive. I went and saw John and Elaine because we have this thing called Restore. And if you need help breaking off some generation curses or just, you know, breaking through some stuff, it's, it's great. Ask for help. Don't be ashamed. Because you know what? You are more important than anything else, any, any kind of ministry or any, uh, anywhere you're going to serve, any team. You are more important. Because if you're not okay, you're not going to be at your full potential to, to, to do what God's called us to do. And God has called us to do more than we could possibly imagine. Like, we're giving, my wife and I are giving more this year than we ever have. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to some way. Because we are called as a, as a body, I mean, Greg's called us out to do, we're doing craziness. Remember, we're planting how many churches and how many years? And, but you know what? God has a plan for us that's way bigger than us and we cannot do it alone. So don't let yourself get to a place where you're hopeless. And if you're getting to a place where you're feeling hopeless, find somebody. And if you are, if, if you see somebody getting to the place of hopelessness, talk to them. For the army, we have to do, we have to, like I've, I've more than, in, even in this past year, I've had to more of the times than I'd like to, to talk about. I've had to ask people direct questions. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Because you have to be direct, but also you gotta, you know, you have to be in a place where you're in a relationship with people. But maybe for us, it's not being necessarily that direct. Maybe it's just walking up to somebody, give them a hug, and say, you know what? God loves you. I love you. I believe in you. You can do this. Sometimes it's all it's going to take. You don't even know how much that one, that one word to somebody can mean. That one hug. And I know we're not always supposed to hug or whatever, but you know, 
I think that was the hardest part for me in 2019 was or 2020 was not being able to hug people, you know? Love people. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you would just help us help ourselves. God, you would help us to look inside, to, to do an honest evaluation of where we're at. Lord, and, and to not be afraid to ask for help if we need it. And God, for those of us that are okay, Lord, to ask where we can help others. God, we know that you have so much for us. You have so much for this church and so much for this region. And God, we just ask that you would just help us to be all that you've called us to be. So that way we can reach the people you've called us to reach and we can do what you've called us to do. God, we just thank you so much for, for a new year and just the, the new beginnings. And God, we just are excited for what you have for this year. We thank you, God. Listen, if you're listening online or if you're in this room, I would just, I would challenge you, don't literally even walk out these doors if you need to ask for prayer. That's what Pete and Betty are doing sitting there right now. But there's plenty of leaders in this place. We'd love to pray with you today. We'd love to hear where you're at. Because I'm telling you, if I think that what Joe's saying is this is a necessity for us to see God use us. We got to be actually in good shape to do it. And we got to actually be in a good place of understanding who we are in God's eyes and what He has for us in order to be able to do those things. So thank you so much, Joe, for sharing that. Listen, if you are. Uh, in the room today and you want to just kind of take a few minutes to meet and greet with us there's going to be a few folks in the welcome room we'd love to have you join us there if not we will see you again next week at 9 a.m we're all going to be here right on time i know it so be blessed have a wonderful day and be careful in the snow out there thank you for listening to ntc messina's podcast we hope you join us next week and have a blessed day